Hello, my friends, and thank you for joining me for another time together as we're discussing woman's role. We're into lesson number two, and I want to remind you before getting too far into this that right here, this series is not about the exceptions. I get that. There are going to be times when tragedy strikes, there's going to be circumstances that are thrown upon families that are outside their control, etc. I get all of that, okay? But this lesson is about the rule of God. The problem we have in our culture today is that too many women and too many men support them in this are making the exception into the rule. For instance, you can't get by in this culture, in this society, in this time and day and age with this particular president. You just can't get by without two incomes. Nonsense. As I established last week and uh, show you again here in the next slide, uh, we are people that uh, need to recognize the reality of our gluttonous materialism. Now, there certainly are exceptions to that. There are individuals who are trying their hardest, and they, you know, they're living on next to nothing and all that kind of. I get all of that, but if Cindy, my wife, can manage a household over the last forty years on a preacher's low middle class income, I think most folks in America can do it, and most women are making excuses about why they've got to work outside the home, why they've, why they've got to bring in a second income. And a largely, it's, it has to do with the fact that they're not willing to make some of the sacrifices. And maybe even bigger than that is that they have men with no backbone, men who are not willing to press into the family's value system. We've got to slow down. We can't be affording all the cell phones. We can't be affording all of the vehicles in the par in, in, in the driveway. We, we can't be affording, you know, leaving lights on all through the house. We can't be affording leaving, uh, drinking sodas like it's water. We, uh, we can't be affording, you know, on and on you go, you know. When you begin to look at the money-saving ideas that are out there, and by the way, we'll deal with some of those as we continue in this series, but as you, can t as you look at those, you begin to find that it really is within reason for a family to have a one-income survival and do quite well. Cindy and I are living proof of that, and it's largely because of Cindy and her self-discipline. So again, back to this. This series is not about the exceptions. There are exceptions out there. I get that. But too many women are turning the exception into the rule. We want to talk about the rule of God. And that's, of course, why it's the Restoration School of Biblical Studies, because we want to go back to what God actually says. Uh, I told you to be in the next slide, but actually it's a slide after this. Um, here are the five questions for those of you who are part of the School of Biblical Studies, and those questions will be a part of our uh, final test that you'll receive on Friday, uh, which my wife sends out, by the way, as part of her uh, uh, wonderful participation in my ministry via a homemaker. She has this opportunity, and so she's able to work at home, and she does this for me, and God bless her. I'm so thankful for the 40-plus years that I've had with that woman. All right, did you screenshot that? That's what we're going to cover, God willing, as we move through this subject matter. All right, here's a little bit of review from last week. I, I pointed to this particular picture, which is our 40th uh, anniversary of, of being together in ministry, and I, and I made those four bullet points there that I think are quite powerful. Full-time homemaker for nearly 40 years. Managed household uh, on a lower middle-class preacher salary. At the same time, she's traveled the United States with me as I did revivals and gospel meetings and youth rallies, etc., raising two boys as she homeschooled both of them, both of which have become leaders within the church and uh, work regularly in leading worship services, that kind of thing. And then on top of that, in recent years, she's even cared for both sets of parents. All of this 
as she has been navigating the difficulties of, of the economy, various economies along the way, and maintained a one-budget income. Yeah, it's possible. It can happen. But the reason I'm bringing this again to your attention, and we'll probably drop it next time and move on to other things, but I just don't want you to miss what I believe is, is a lot of the credibility that I bring to this particular subject. Number one, I'm credible because I'm talking about God's Word. You're going to see that repeatedly throughout the evening. We're going to pick it apart, show you what God Himself says. That's the number one. That's the big one. But number two, I'm credible because I have been blessed to learn from that woman right there. One of my greatest teachers in life, Cindy Childs, as she's shown me how to create a working home, as she has put together uh, the various sacrifices that we needed to make, and she's brought it to my attention, and she's asked me, to, would you make sure that this happens in the family? And I said, yes, I believe, honey, that's right, after we prayed together about it, etc. I've learned so much from that woman. And so what you're going to find throughout the course of this series is that we're going to talk a lot about what Cindy taught me, and uh, how that it, it came to bear on our family, because God taught her. illustration of that. I told you that I was going to begin presenting Cindy's secrets, and here's the first. Um, as we look at the subject matter of women and what is their role that God has designed them for, um, I asked Cindy a series of questions that she's she's putting together answers uh, for these questions. And by the way, you need to know that I told her, I said, it needs to be, you need to keep it brief. And so there's going to be a lot of brevity there. And she kind of struggled with this one, as she will probably in all of them. But she said, there's more that I'd like to say about that. And this sounds a little bit cliche, I suppose. And yet it's, it's so very, very profound. And I told her, I said, look, if you will give me these keys, then I will then turn to Scripture and show the world how you came about to establish these keys. Because it originated with God. What's the secret to a fulfilling marriage? Well, Cindy said this, and I quote, Put God first, your husband second, and yourself last. If you'll do that, you will find yourself in a position to move toward a very fulfilling uh, relationship because you've got God first. Uh, and again, we'll, we'll deal with that more. You know the triangle that I've, I've used in the past, etc., with God at the top and Cindy and I at the bottom points. And as you move closer to the top of the triangle, you move closer to one another, that kind of thing. Well, she has dynamically made that come to life in our relationship. And so, because of that, we have a very, very good relationship. Now, I want to draw your attention to this passage because this is very, very important to understanding why I'm doing Cindy's Secrets. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to bounce off of this idea of marriage and moving on uh, to, to why you put the husband or God first, the husband second, and yourself last. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, that's what the subject matter for this evening. But this right here, this passage, this is why I'm doing the Cindy Secrets. Because Cindy has had as a goal throughout our marriage that she was going to be in one of these two classifications. First of all, you got older women are supposed to, second of all, teach or train younger women. And then third, you can see down there at the bottom, so that the word of God is not reviled. For most of our married life, Cindy has considered herself to be one of the younger women. And she's had a few really good mentors in her life, as I pointed to last week. Uh, not the least of which was her own mama. But Cindy is about to turn 61. And I hope she doesn't get mad at me for putting that out there. Uh, she didn't have a vein bone in her body, so I, I'm sure she doesn't care. But uh, as she turns 61 and she looks over her shoulder, she recognizes the majority of her life is already gone. It's behind her. But she also recognizes that she has learned a lot over those years. And there is literally a countless number of young women across the country 
and really in other parts of, of, the, of the world that have learned from not just her example, but her instruction as she has taught young women throughout the course of her life, but more specifically here towards the, the older years of, his, of her life. As she, and you can't see it in that particular picture, maybe you can if you look closely, but she got a little bit of gray in her hair, uh, less than I got, but uh, she's got a little gray in her hair and, and she, she certainly has a lot of experience under her belt. And so she's transitioned from that second group of younger women. She's transitioned to the, the first group of, of older women. And so when I, I began putting this series together, I went to her and I said, honey, I need you to help me lead this. I need for you to share with me. And that's how we came up with this idea of, of Cindy's Secrets. Now, I want, to, I want to point out, Sue, let's see if I can do it right up. It's so hard to go there, right there, that second line there. She wants me to make sure I tell you that it's not that it's secret in the sense that it's hidden. It's secret in the sense that they are uncommon keys that folks don't seem to be using today. And those are the things that I hope to be presenting. And you might even say in this particular case, put God first, your husband second, yourself. That's kind of uncommon, even within the church. There seems to be this, this concept of, uh, you know, the equality of the sexes and, and, uh, and all of those kind of things. And yet, as we're going to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, towards the end of this uh, class tonight, you're, you're going to see that even God, during the New Testament church age, has said that it's God, man, woman. And uh, understanding that principle has really helped our marriage, and it's helped Cindy to recognize what she needs to bring to the world. And I'm so thankful for her. So there's your first Cindy, Cindy secret. Uh, what's the secret to fulfilling a fulfilling marriage? Well, make sure you put God first and the rest. All right. That being said, it's a great segue into what we want to talk about tonight. As we're in the opening stages of this series, I thought it would really be good for us to go back to the beginning, all the way back to the start of things. I don't want to be too blunt, and I suspect that some of what I'm going to say this evening will be pretty challenging to women, and so I, I want to be careful that I don't lose my audience. But at the same time, truth is truth, and it needs to be spoken. And so I want to ask you this question right up front. Why do you even make women? If man is created in God's image, and man's good, I mean, you're going to see here in these passages that I'm, I'm about to show you that there's a lot of jobs that Adam was doing long before the woman even showed up. Why even create her? Why do we even need women is kind of the question that we want to answer this evening. First reason God created women is we need to, or first thing that we need to understand, principle we need to understand about God's creation of women is that woman was created after man, as I just pointed out. In the beginning, there was just the created sphere, God, and a male, Adam. And you find verses uh, chapter, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, then 15 and 19. Three things that I think really should become apparent to you and I, because all three of these things happened before a woman was even created. There was not a woman at this time. The Lord formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And so the inception, conception, the beginning of humanity starts with a single male. Then, Later, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So the second thing that you see is that he is going to be created, and then he is going to have a job. His first job is that God created man for the purpose of working the garden. Then verse 19, now out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens 
and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. My point is this. Three things happen before there's ever a woman. One, man comes on the scene. Two, man is given the assignment to work the garden, and so he does. And then number three, he is asked to name all of the animals. Regardless of your understanding of the time frame of the days of creation, etc., I happen to believe that they were literally 24-hour periods. But regardless of that, one thing is pretty apparent, and that is that there was a lot that got done before woman ever come on the scene. So again, I come back to the question, why create her in the first place? Why was that even a need? Number one, woman was created after man. That is a reality of the creation story. Number two, we need to recognize that woman was created for man. Again, as we deal with a lot of feminism in our world today, especially in America, this is a very unpopular point, but that's all right, because the Bible is a very unpopular book. And you might recall that last part of Titus chapter 2 and verse 5, the reason a woman is to be a woman as God defines a woman is so that the word of God will not be reviled. And we see that the word of God is being reviled today because a lot of Christian women are not practicing what God has put before them. Secondly, and I think this is huge, even in the church, it's important to recognize that the reason, the purpose, the beginning of woman and her coming into the created sphere was that so that she would be there for man, for her man. The man gave names to all the livestock. We just saw that in the, in the, in the previous setting. Uh, and boy, and you know what? I don't think that's even the right verse. Oh, boy. I think I, I failed to change that caption. Let me just get that for you because if there's one thing we here at the School of Biblical Studies despise, it is when we do not give God the glory and we try our best very much to make sure that we do everything that is accurate from his word. It is not. Okay, we need, I think, what is it? The man gave names to all the livestock, and uh, verse, uh, oh boy, took the man, Lord command the man saying, you should surely know, okay, the Lord said, it is not good for men to be alone, oh, there it is, verse 20, sorry, it's not 2-7, it's 2-20, 220. 220. For the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. That's verse 20. Uh, yeah, verse 20 of Genesis chapter 2. So the second point is that we need to recognize that woman was created for man. Number one, man was here for a significant amount of activity before the woman ever showed up. Number two, woman was created for the man. And if you put it in context, it sounds as if what is happening here is Adam is given the assignment to, to name all of the animals. And he notices a male cow and a female cow, a male donkey and a female donkey. He notices a, a male uh, elephant and a female elephant. And, and then at the end of the process, God makes this observation. Not that it was, you know, outside of God's scope to have known it already, but maybe he did the whole thing just so that Adam would pick up on it. Adam doesn't have a counterpart. He doesn't have a helper. He doesn't have somebody who is there to assist him 
to be his partner in the, the journey of life. And so we're going to find number three, he's going to create woman. But I need you to stop for a second and consider what we've seen so far. Number one, man is here first. Number two, woman is created second in order to be a partner to man or, or for man, literally created according to the passage, for him. And then number three, I find it very interesting that woman was created from man. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And notice the celebratory uh, uh, way this is, is presented, verse 23. Then the man said, ah, this, is, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so there's this celebration that he's got a partner. He's got, the celebration he's going to have help. Celebration that he, he's going to have somebody who is there for him. So in the course of this, we see three things happening that are very significant to understanding the role of women. And they are as follows. <clears throat> Number one, a woman was created after man was created. Number two, a woman was created for man. And number three, woman was created from man. She gets her beginning from man himself. Let me move this down because it's bothering me. How's that? Now, that being said, go back now to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 because you're going to see that this is a, a statement of, of result. This is a conclusionary statement. That's why you have the word therefore. This is going to be, okay, let's make some conclusions about this. And it's interesting the conclusion that God draws. Because woman was created after man, and because woman was created for man, and because woman was created from man, he says, because of that, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so you've got the original family happening here, all of which results from Eve being what she is supposed to be. Up to this particular point, there has been no deception. She has not tempted her husband into following her failed decision to, to eat of the fruit. None of that has taken place. This is a, a good situation. okay. And, and God says, because of that, he says, a man is going to leave his own mom and dad, and he's going to join to that woman whose purpose is to be created after him, for him, and from him. And in that union, there will be a one flesh. So there'll be reproduction that takes place. This is a powerful, powerful passage with regards to the role of women because you'll notice that she is absolutely key to this process. A man shall leave his father and his what? His mother. There would be no procreation had it not been for the woman coming onto the scene. The perfect partner for the man. And so she's created for him, from him, in order to produce more like him. And you got this, you, not only do you have this generational blessing that's going to come upon the planet because of Eve, it's fulfilling her proper role, but you also have what I think is very, very important for us to see. You also have a woman recognizing her prime directive. Her prime directive is to be there for the man 
because she came from the man. I'll prove that in 1 Corinthians 11, now at the bottom here in just a second. But before we do that, I want to come back up here, I can do it right there, to the what, what we have circled. Notice that it says, therefore, a man. You'll notice that before we even get out of chapter 2, we are seeing the emphasis being placed upon the male gender. We, we, we see that it is the man who's called to leave mom and dad. It's the man who holds fast to his wife. Then you bring in the two of them, and they become one flesh. But again, the emphasis is on the man. Now, and I hope that you would understand that I would go here. Throughout this series, we're also going to pick on men pretty heavily. Because I'm absolutely convinced that whatever women fail, it's because men are not doing their job. Uh, that's why, by the way, whenever you reference the story of the fall of man, it's always the sin of Adam, isn't it? I mean, even when you get to the book of Romans, chapter 5, it's the sin of Adam. But if you think about it, it really was the sin of Eve before Adam ever took part, right? Why don't we call it the sin of Eve? Because humanity was based upon God creating the male gender who was supposed to take the lead. And the woman was to be for him because she came from him. And therefore, in many ways, subservient to the role that the man has. Now, again, you say, that's, uh, that's offensive. I don't like that. It, it really doesn't matter. Argue with God. Notice this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. Man was made, excuse me, man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority all on her head because of the angels. Many things there to be seen, but first of all, notice the title that I've given at the top there. The divine design has not changed. For those who believe, and a lot of feminists within the church do, those who believe that Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 has been outdated, or that Genesis chapter 2 in general has been outdated, the idea that woman came after man, was created for man, and, and comes from man, that those are arcane principles. Patriarchal uh, is, seems to be the, the word that <clears throat> is being used as a dirty word today in, in our culture, because women don't want to submit to the patriarchal system that we have in America today. Well, frankly, you need to recognize that's God's system. And when you see 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you recognize several things. First of all, you recognize that many years after Genesis chapter 2 is written or takes place, the events of Genesis chapter 2 takes place, many years later, and many transitions have taken place, a big one, meaning the church has begun, many years later, we still got the same principles at play. We got to recognize that woman came from man, was created for man, and it's because of that that in the church, women should conduct themselves in a certain way. But it's beyond that. It's not just in the church, because we've had a lot of feminists in the church today who want to limit it to that. They can be whatever they want as long as within the church setting, they keep their mouth quiet and they do, you know, whatever. No, it's bigger than just in the church setting, the collective gathering. Women, their role in life needs to be one that she recognizes that she came from man and she's been created for man. There's a, <clears throat> there's a hierarchy that uh, is also listed here in, in Romans chapter, uh, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that I, I don't have. I should have put it up there. But the, the idea that um, there's God, man, and woman, and as you pass through that chain of command, if you will, obviously there's going to be children below women. But 
Jesus is the head of man, who's the head of woman. And keeping those roles appropriately set makes it important or makes it function, excuse me, functional within the church, functional within life itself, that we keep those roles as they are. There is God, Jesus, the head of the church, the head of man. There's man and there's woman. The other thing I want you to notice here is verse 10, <clears throat> here at the bottom. Um, that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. It's a kind of complicated verse. We'll, we'll try to pick this apart later on in the series. But for now, as we try to, to drive this point home with regards to a woman being created after man, for man, and from man, I just want you to see that it's pretty clear that even in the New Testament setting, that God says that the wife needs to have a symbol of authority on her head. There needs to be something that demonstrates to the world that this woman is in subjection to her head, which is the man, her, her husband. And by the way, the same thing can be said of the man, because I know we always want to do that. The feminists always want to you know, keep everything equal. Well, what about the man? Okay, I'll do that one for you. And a man needs to have a symbol on his head that says he is subservient to his head, which is Jesus. But we're dealing with women in this series, and so come back to verse 10 and notice that there has to be a symbol of authority. Now, again, we'll debate that out later on as to what that symbol of authority is, but for now, I just want you to leave you, I want to leave you with this idea that God himself says that in the New Testament church age right now, as we speak, even today, we have not outgrown the principles of Genesis chapter 2, that women came after man, were created after man, for man from man. In fact, he makes that the basis of his argument, <clears throat> does he not, Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, because a woman comes from man and was created for man. That's why the wife ought to have a symbol of authority. It's also the basis, the root of <clears throat> the other part of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that talks about the whole idea of uh, women or Jesus, man, and woman. You know, let's just go, let me just real quickly See if I pull that up. See, I, I know we've already kind of run the rabbit really far here. Uh, let's see. I may not be able to find it real quick, and if I can't, we won't go there. But, um, yeah, verse 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of Christ is God. And then he says that the head of a wife I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And so you you see that I don't know if you want hierarchy, if you will. There is Jesus. There is man. There is woman. And if we can keep those principles in line, we will have a very fulfilling marriage. We will see a restoration of the godly family within our culture. The reason we are struggling to see that today is because so many women balk at lessons such as this. It's pretty clear from what I put on the screen that it's true, but I don't want it to be true, and therefore I either ignore it or I rage against it. Clearly, the principles of Genesis chapter 2 have not changed because many years later, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 during the church age is given, and the same principles are presented there. And so, in the beginning, the role of woman was to be supportive, that she was to be one who came and she fit into the pattern of life, the, the purpose of the man, because she was created for him. 
and she was created from him. We'll continue to build on this, but I wanted you to see how Cindy's secret at the front end that uh, you need to put God first, your husband second, yourself last. This is where she got that. It's not that it belongs to Cindy. It belongs to God, who Cindy saw it, and she's put it in action in her own marriage. Here are the five questions we attempted to cover during that time together. I think we, we did a pretty good job. We didn't write in, and I'll do my best to give you more clarification. Thank you so much for joining me as we deal with this particular topic. And I know it's controversial, and I recognize there's a lot of folks who rage against this whole idea of women uh, being submissive to their husbands, but it's Bible. And if you don't like it, argue with God, I guess, would be the application to be drawn here towards the conclusion. Next time, we'll share another one of Cindy's secrets. I hope that you'll be with me. Until then, this is Sonny Child saying, be there. Matthew 16, 26.